Today, we continue my interview with Nathan Levens, AI entrepreneur, AI scout, and host of The Cognitive Revolution. If you missed part one, uh, do go back and listen to it. That's episode 176, Nathan Levens on the final push for AGI and understanding OpenAI's leadership drama. AI Discourse. It seems to me, and I think like to quite a lot of people, that the online conversation about AI and AI safety and pausing AI versus not has kind of gotten a bit worse over the last couple of months. That the conversation has gotten like more aggressive. People who I think know less have become more vocal. People have been like pushed a bit more into ideological corners. It's kind of now you know what everyone is going to say, kind of maybe before before they've had much to say about it yet. Uh, Whereas, you know, a year ago, even six months ago, it felt a lot more open. People were toying with ideas a lot more. It was less less aggressive. People were more open-minded. Firstly, is that your perception? And if so, do you have a theory as to what's going on? That is my perception, unfortunately. And I guess my simple explanation for it would be that it's starting to get real and there's starting to be actual government interest. And, you know, when you start to see these congressional hearings and then you start to see voluntary White House commitments and then you see an executive order, which is largely, you know, just a few reporting requirements for the most part, but still is kind of the the beginning, then, you know, any, any, I mean, anything around politics and government is, is generally so polarized and kind of ideological that maybe people are starting to just kind of fall back into those frames. I mean, that's my, that's my theory. I don't have a great theory or I'm not super confident in that theory. There are definitely some thought leaders, you know, that are particularly aggressive in terms of pushing an agenda right now. I mean, I'm I'm not breaking any news to say Mark Andreessen has, has put out some pretty um, aggressive rhetoric over the last I think just within the last month or two, um, you know, the, the techno optimist manifesto where I'm like, I agree with you on like 80, maybe even 90% of this, you know, we've covered the self-driving cars and you know, there's plenty of other things where I think, man, you know, it's, it's a real bummer that we don't have more nuclear power. And, um, uh, I'm, I'm very inclined to agree on most things. Shame we can't build apartments. Yeah. For God's yeah. sake. Um, but I don't think he's done the discourse any favors by framing the, framing the debate in terms of like, you know, I mean, he used the term the enemy and he he just listed out a bunch of people that he perceives to be the enemy. And that really sucks. You know, I, I think if you know, the kind of classic thought experiment here is like, if aliens came to earth, we would hopefully all by default think that we were in it together and we would want to understand them first and, you know, what their intentions are and whether they would be, you know, friendly to us or hostile to us or whatever, and really need to understand that before deciding what to do. Unfortunately, it feels like that's kind of the situation that we're in. Um, You know, the aliens are of our own creation, but they are these sort of strange things that are not very well understood yet. We don't really know why they do what they do, although we are making a lot of progress on that. I don't think it's helping anybody for technology leaders to be giving out their lists of enemies. Uh, I don't really think anybody needs to be giving out our lists of enemies. You know, the, it would be so tragic comic, you know, if you imagine actual aliens showing up to, to <laughs> then imagine the people like calling each other names and, you know, deciding who's enemies of whom before we've even figured out what the aliens are here for. And so I feel like we're kind of behaving 
really badly, honestly, to be dividing into camps before we've even got a clear picture of what we're dealing with, what we're dealing with. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's just crazy to me, you know? And yeah, as to exactly why it's happening. I mean, I think there have been a few quite negative contributions, but it also does just seem to be where society is at right now. I mean, you would, you know, we saw the same thing with like vaccines, right? I mean, you know, I'm not like a super vaccine expert, but like, safe to say that discourse was also unhealthy, right? I mean, we, here we had like... <laughs> could, I could find certain areas for improvement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, here we had a deadly disease and then we had life-saving medicine. And, um, you know, I think it's totally appropriate to ask some questions about that uh, life-saving medicine and its safety and possible side effects. I, I think the, you know, the just asking questions defense, I'm actually kind of sympathetic to, but the discourse was, you know, safe to say it was pretty deranged. And, you know, here we are again, where it seems like there's really no obvious reason for people to be so polarized about this, but it is happening. And, you know, I don't know that there's all that much that can be done about it. I think, you know, my kind of Hmm. best hope for the moment is just that the extreme techno-optimist, techno-libertarian, you know, don't tread on me, uh, right to bear AI faction is potentially just self-discrediting. I really don't think that's the right way forward. And if anything, I think they may end up being harmful to their own goals, you know, just like the open AI board was perhaps harmful to its own goals. When you have leading billionaire, you know, chief of major VC funds saying such extreme things, it really does invite the government to kind of come back and be like, oh, really? That's what you think? Hmm. That's what you're going to do if we don't you know, put any controls on you? Well, then guess what? You're getting them. I, I mean, I, 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 it doesn't seem like good strategy. It's like it may be a good strategy for like deal flow if your goal is to attract like other sort of uber ambitious founder types that don't, you know, if you just want like Travis uh, Kalanick to, um, you know, choose your firm in, in, uh, his next venture. And and you want that, that type of person to like, take your money, then maybe it's good for that. But if you actually are trying to convince the policymakers that regulation is not needed, then I don't think you're on the path to, uh, being effective there. So it's very strange. It's very kind of hard to figure out. Self-driving cars. I think I have a somewhat contrarian take on this because it does still seem like the predominant view is that it's going to be a while still. And, um, you know, obviously Cruz has recently had a lot of problems due to one incident, plus perhaps a maybe a cover up of that incident. I, I, I still don't have it entirely clear exactly what happened there, but I'm a little confused by this because, yes, they, you know, the leading makers and that that would be like Tesla, Waymo and Cruise have put out numbers that say pretty clearly that they are safer than human drivers and they can measure this, you know, in a bunch of different ways. It can be kind of complicated, you know, exactly what do you compare to and under what conditions? You know, the the AI doesn't have to drive in like extreme conditions, so it can just turn off. And this is why I think probably China will beat us in the self-driving car race. Um, if not the AI race overall. 
is because I think they'll go around and just like change the environment, right? And say, oh my God, if we have trees, you know, blocking stop signs, or we have stop signs that are ambiguous, or we have like whatever these, you know, sort of environmental problems, then we should fix them. <laughs> we should clean up the environment so it works well. And we just have seemingly no uh, will here, certainly in the United States, to do that sort of thing. So I, I, I'm bummed by that. And that's, I, I really try to carry that flag uh, proudly too, because I think, you know, so many people have these like, this is a, this is a problem in society at large, right? It's not just an AI problem, but people get invested in terms of their identity on different sides of issues. And everybody kind of seems to polarize and, you know, go to their coalition on kind of questions which don't, aren't like obviously related. So I try to emphasize the places where I think just sane first principles thinking kind of breaks those norms. And one I think is self-driving cars really good. I, I would love to see those accelerated. I would love to have one. Um, it would be more useful to me if Tesla took the it actually made it more autonomous. Probably the biggest reason I haven't bought one is that it still really requires you to pay close attention. And I'm a competent driver, but we have a couple members of our family who are not great drivers and whom I'm like, <laughs> this would be a real benefit to their safety. But one of the problems is if you, you know, it requires you to monitor it so closely. And if you kind of lapse or don't monitor it in just the way that you want. It gives you a strike. And after a few strikes, they just kick you off the self-driving program. So I'm like, unfortunately, I think in, you know, with the drivers that I have that would actually be, you know, most benefited from this, we'd probably get end up getting kicked out of the program and then it would have been <laughs> pointless to have bought one in the first place. So, you know, I would endorse giving more autonomy to the car. And I think that would make people in my personal family safer, but you know, we're just not there. And I hold that belief at the same time, you know, as, as all these kind of more cautious beliefs that I have around like super general systems. And, you know, there's, there's reasons for that that are like, I think pretty obvious really, but for some reason don't seem to carry the day. The main one is that driving cars is already very dangerous. A lot of people die from it and it's already very random, you know, and it's not fair. It's not, it's already not just so to, if you could make it less dangerous, make it more safe overall even if there continues to be some unfairness and some injustice in and some, you know, literal harms to people, uh, that seems to be good, you know, and, there, and there's really no risk of like a self-driving car taking over the world, you know, or do, doing anything like <laughs> it's not going to get totally out of our control. It can only do one thing. It's an engineered system with a very specific purpose, right? It's not going to start doing science uh, one day by surprise. So <laughs> I think like that's all very good. We should embrace that type of technology and I try to be an example of, you know, holding that belief and championing that at the same time as, as saying, you know, hey, something that can uh, do science, you know, and um, pursue you know, long range goals of arbitrary uh, specification, you know, that is like a whole different kind of animal. Robotics. One more very particular thing I wanted to, to shout out to, because this is one of the few examples where. GPT-4 has genuinely outperformed human experts is from a paper called Eureka, I think a very appropriate title, from Jim Fan's group at NVIDIA. And what they did is used GPT-4 to write the reward models, which are then used to train a robotic hand. And so 
you know, the, one of the tasks that they were able to get a robotic hand to do is twirl a pencil in the hand. And this is something that like, I'm not very good at doing. Um, but you know, it's, it's this sort of thing, right? Uh, yeah. wobbling it around the, the fingers. What's hard about this is multiple things, of course, but one thing that's particularly hard if you're going to try to use reinforcement learning to teach a robot to do this is you have to have a reward function that tells the system how well it's doing. So these systems learn by just kind of fumbling around and then getting a reward and then updating so as to do more of the things that get the high reward and less of the things that get the low reward. But in the initial fumbling around, it's kind of hard to tell, like, Mm. Was that good? <laughs> was that bad? You know, you're nowhere close. So they call this the sparse reward problem, or at least that's kind of one one way that it's it's talked about, right? If you if you are so far from doing anything good that you can't get any meaningful reward, then you get no signal, then you have nothing to learn from. Mm. So how do you get over that initial hump? Well, humans write custom reward functions for particular tasks. We know what we think we know. We have a sense of what good looks like. So if we can write a reward function to observe what you do and tell you how good it is, then our knowledge encoded through that reward function can be used as the basis for hopefully, you know, getting you going in the early going. It turns out that GPT-4 is significantly better than humans at writing these reward functions for these various robot hand tasks, including you know, twirling the pencil significantly. So according to that paper, and this was striking to me because there really are no, like, you know, when you think about writing reward functions, that's like by definition expert, right? There's no, there's not like any amateur, uh, reward function writers out there. (laughs) This is like the kind of thing that the average person doesn't even know what it is. Can't do it at all. You know, it's just totally going to give you a blank stare, even at the whole subject. So you're into expert territory from the beginning. And to have GPT-4 exceed what the human experts can do just suggests that there, you know, it's, it's very rare. I have not seen many of these, but this is one where I would say, Hey, there is GPT-4 doing something that, you know, would you say that's beyond its training data? Probably somewhat at least, right? Uh, would you say it is an insight? Seems insight adjacent. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's not obviously not an insight. So I've, I had used this term of eureka moments, and I had said, you know, for the longest time, no eureka moments. I'm now having to say precious few eureka moments because um, I at least feel like I have one example, and notably the paper is called Eureka. So that's definitely one to check out if you want to kind of see what I would consider like one of the frontier examples of GPT-4 outperforming human experts. Medicine. I mean, again, this is a, this is just exploding. Um, it has not been long since MedPalm Two uh, was announced from Google, and this was, you know, a multimodal model that is able to take in not just text but also images, also genetic data, um, histology. You know, images of like different kinds of images, right? Like X-rays, but also tissue. Uh, slides and answer questions using all these inputs and to basically do it at roughly human level on eight out of nine dimensions on which it was evaluated. It was preferred by human doctors to human doctors. So 
so mostly the the difference there was pretty narrow. So it would be also pretty fair to say it was like a tie across the board if you wanted to just round it. Um, but in actual, you know, blow by blow on the nine dimensions, it yeah, did yeah. win eight out of nine of the dimensions. So that's medical question answering with multimodal inputs. That's a pretty big deal. Um, <laughs> Isn't this just going to be an insanely useful product? Can't you? <laughs> I mean, I don't, imagine how much all doctors learn yeah. across the world answering people's questions yeah like, it's, it's uh, but, you know provide looking at photo well, know, looking at samples of things getting test results answering people's questions you can automate that it sounds like i mean maybe maybe i'm missing i get you know there's gonna be all kinds of legal issues and application issues but it, it i mean it's just incredible yeah prescri- i think the one i think one likely scenario which might be as good as we could hope for there would be that human doctors prescribe you know that that would be kind of the fallback position of yeah get all your questions answered but when it comes to actual treatment you know then you know a human is going to have to review and sign off on it that could make sense not even sure that necessarily is the best but it there's certainly a defense of it so that's that's medpalm 2 that has not been released it is you know according to google in kind of early testing with trusted partners Mm -hmm. which i assume means like health systems or whatever um you know, people used to say, why doesn't Google buy a, a hospital system? At this point, you know, they really might ought to because just implementing this holistically through an entire, you know, because there's obviously a lot of layers in a, in a hospital system that could make a, a ton of sense. And GPT-4 also, especially with vision now, is there too. I mean, it, it hasn't been out for very long, but there was just a paper um, announced in in just the last couple of weeks where you know, there's a couple notable details here too, but they basically say, we try, we evaluated GPT-4V, V for vision, on challenging medical image cases uh, across 69 clinico-pathological conferences. Um, so, you know, wide range of different things. It outperformed human respondents overall and across difficulty levels, skin tones, and all different image types except radiology where it matched humans. So again, just, you know, extreme breadth is one of the huge strengths of these systems. And that skin tones thing really jumped out at me because that has been one of the big questions and challenges around these sorts of things. Like, yeah, okay, maybe it's doing okay on these benchmarks. Maybe it's doing okay on these cherry-picked examples. But, you know, there's a lot of diversity in the world. What about people who look different? What about people who are different in any number of ways? We're starting to see those barriers, or you know, maybe I'd better to say we're starting to see those thresholds crossed as well. So yeah, it's it's pretty, you know, as as kind of the the AI doctor, you know, is is not far off, it seems. And then there's also in in terms of like biomedicine, the alpha fold and the more recent uh expansion to alpha fold is also just incredibly game-changing. There are now drugs in development that were kind of identified through AlphaFold. Kids and artificial friends. I've done one episode only so far with the CEO of Replica, the virtual friend company. And I came up with that with very mixed feelings. On the one hand, she started that company before language models. And she served a population and continues to, I think, largely serve a population that, you know, it, 
has has real challenges, right? I mean, it, many of them anyway, such that like, you know, people are forming like very real attachment to things that are like very simplistic. And I kind of took away from that, that man, like people have real holes in their hearts, you know, that, that if, if something that is as simple as like replica 2022 can be something that you love, you know, then like you are kind of starved for real connection. And that, you know, was kind of sad, but I also felt like, you know, Hey, the world is rough for sure for a lot of people. And if this is helpful to these people, then, you know, more power to them. But then the flip side of that is it's now getting really good. And so it's, it's no longer just something that's like just good enough to soothe people who are, you know, in, you know, suffering in, in some way, but is probably getting to the point where it's going to be good enough to begin to really compete with normal relationships for otherwise normal people. And that too, you know, could be really weird. You know, for like parents, I would say ChatGPT is great. And I, I do love how ChatGPT, even just in the name, you know, always kind of presents in this like robotic way and doesn't try to be your friend. You know, it, it will be polite to you, but it doesn't, it doesn't like want to hang out with you. Hey, really. Rob, <laughs> how are you? How was your day? Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not, um, it's not bidding for your attention, right? It's just there to kind of help and try to be helpful. And that's that. But the the replica will send you notifications, you know, hey, it's been a while, let's chat. And as those continue to get better, I would definitely say to parents, like, get your kids chat GPT, but watch out for virtual friends. Because I think they now definitely can be engrossing enough that it, you know, and maybe I'll end up looking back on this and being like, well, yeah, whatever, I was old fashioned at the time. Um, but virtual friends are, I think, something to be developed with, again, extreme care. And if you're just like a profit maximizing app, that's just like trying to drive your engagement numbers, you know, just like early social media, (laughs) right? You know, you're going to end up in a pretty unhealthy place from the user standpoint. I think social media, you know, has come a long way. And, you know, to, to Facebook or Meta's credit, you know, they've done a lot of things to study well-being. And, you know, they specifically like, don't give, uh, angry reactions wait in the feed you know and that was a principled decision that like apparently went all the way up to zuckerberg uh hey look we do get more engagement you know from things that are getting angry reactions and he was like no we're not waiting we don't want more anger uh you know angry reactions we will not reward with more engagement okay boom that's a policy but i mean they still got a lot to, to sort out and in the virtual friend category i just imagine that taking quite a while to get to a place where a virtual friend from, you know, a, a VC app that's like pressured to grow is also going to find its way toward being a form factor that would actually be healthy for your kids. So I would, I would hold off on that if I were a parent and I was able, and I could, and I could exercise that much control over my kids, which I know is not always uh, a given. <laughs> not either. always trivial. Now casting versus forecasting. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, question. Is it more worth forecasting where things will be in the future versus is it more valuable to spend an extra hour understanding where we where we stand right now? On the forecasting the future side, one mistake that I perceive some people as making is just looking at what's possible now and saying, well, I'm not really that worried about the things that GPT-4 can do. It seems like 
at best, you know, it's capable of misdemeanors or, uh, you know, it's capable of speeding up some th- bad things that would happen anyway. So not, not much to see here. I'm not, I'm not too, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to stress about this whole AI thing. And that seems like a big mistake to me in as much as the person's not looking at all of the trajectory of where we might be in a couple of years time, you know, worth paying attention to the present, but also worth projecting forward where we might be in future. On the other hand, the future is where we will live, but sadly, predicting how it is uh, is challenging. So you end up if you try to ask, you know, what will language models be capable of in twenty twenty seven? You're kind of guessing. We all we all have to guess, so make informed speculation. Whereas if you focus on what they're capable of doing now, uh, you can at least get a very concrete answer to that. So if you're, the suggestions that you're making or the opinions that you have are inconsistent with what is already the case, with examples that you could just find if you went looking for them, then you could potentially very quickly uh, fix mistakes that you're making in a way that someone merely speculating about how things might be in the future is not going to correct your views. Um, and I guess especially just given how many new capabilities are coming online all the time, how many new applications people are developing, and how much space there is to explore what capabilities these enormous, very general models uh, already have that we haven't even noticed. There's clearly just a lot of juice that one can get out of that. Um, you know, if, if someone's saying, I don't think that these uh, models are, I, I'm not worried because I don't think they'll be capable of independently pursuing tasks. And then you can show them an example of a model at least beginning to independently pursue tasks, even if uh, in, in a somewhat clumsy way, uh, then that might be enough to get them to, uh, to, to rethink <laughs> the opinion that they have. Yeah, I, I guess one quick comment on just predicting the future. I'm I'm all for that kind of work as well, and I do find a lot of it pretty compelling. So I don't mean to suggest that my you know focus on kind of the present is at the exclusion or you know in in um, in conflict with understanding the future. If anything, hopefully you know better understanding of the present informs our understanding of the future. And the one thing that you said really is kind of my biggest motivation, which is just that I think in some sense, like the future is now in that people have such a lack of understanding of what currently exists that, you know, what, what they think is the future is actually here. And so if we could close the gap in understanding so that people did have a a genuinely accurate understanding of, of what is happening now, I think they would have a healthier respect and even a little fear of, you know, what the, the future might hold. So I, I, it's kind of like I think the, the present is compelling enough to get people's attention that you don't really ha- you should project into the future, especially if you're like a decision maker in this space. But if you're just trying to get people to kind of wake up and pay attention, then I think the present is enough. Plenty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 